Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, the best and the worst of this year's Super Bowl ads. Is Netflix seeing Amazon in the rearview mirror? And what's the fascination we have with true crime? All this and more as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos. Inside Sports Fantasy Football, Game Source, and the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Thank you so much for being part of all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own crime scene detective of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to hear what he's doing today on his show, Topic Topicocalypse. Read everything that he's doing at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And of course, his great book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is. Josh Peterson. Done any investigating lately? By investigating, do you mean, are we talking like murders, journalism, or just uh, like trying to find my glasses in the morning? Could be all of the above. Mm, That's very true. Very true. Who knows? Who knows indeed, my friend. But I know you just got recently a chance to play a great addition to the Dragon Ball Z lineup in Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Can you share what you thought of it? Yes, yeah, so I am about. Uh, I, actually, this, is a, this game is like it's fun, but it's like stupid long. So I'm, I'm probably about five hours in, and so you you start at the beginning. So it takes place right at the conclusion of Dragon Ball. You play through the entire series of Dragon Ball Z. So you go through the Saiyan saga, the Frieza saga, the Android saga, the Cell saga, the uh, Majin Buu saga, and I'm sure I'm missing something in there. But I've been playing this game for about five hours. Haven't even finished the Saiyan Saga. Right now I'm at the part where Vegeta and Nappa are waiting for Goku to come back because he just got revived with the Dragon Balls. They killed Yamcha and Tien and Chaozu, so now they're just kind of sitting around waiting. Okay, so my thoughts on this game are thus. I love the open world feeling of the game, right? It is as close to an RPG as a Dragon Ball game can get. The combat is still... Dragon Ball Z combat, except you're not like on a, you know, on a tournament floor or something. You are flying around. You get punched. You go through a mountain, right? And the mountain just disintegrates. Other than that, like when you're not fighting on the battle screen, you are out in the open. Like you're flying from one area to another. So the whole like continents that Dragon Ball takes on, you're flying around. Characters who are on the show, you do quests for them. So far, I'm I'm really digging it. My biggest complaint about it is that it is repetitive, so it's probably going to be one of those games that I play a little piece at a time. Maybe I'll do like the Saiyan Saga, 
take a break, play something else, go back, do the uh, the Frieza saga, take a break, and so on and so forth. But they did a good job. You know, it's it is what it is. It is a Dragon Ball Z game at its heart. So don't go into it expecting it to have like the RPG mechanics of like a you know a JRPG. It's not that. It's worth the money. If pick it up for sixty dollars, it's if you need something to play desperately, yes. But um, you know, if you have a stack of games you're trying to get through, I'd say wait till it, you know, drops down to like forty or goes on sale or something. And that's again Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. That's available today on PS4, Xbox One. It's available now everywhere you can get your video games. Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Well, we are going to have a great show for you today. We've got. Crime novelist and star of the Amazon Prime documentary, Method of Murder, Jackie Rom, joining us later on in the program. Speaking of Amazon Prime, we're going to close out the show giving you an update on Amazon Prime and what we were talking about recently. And the numbers are quite interesting, so we'll just touch on that real quick before we close out on the show. Plus also as well, Josh and I are going to give our opinions on true crime podcasts and why true crime as a whole is in the past few years has really been taking off and we have some theories and thoughts on it as we go ahead and and share some thoughts on the true crime phenomenon as it were and why it's become so popular but also as well we're going to be talking about the super bowl trailers but first off my friend we're talking some super bowl ads because it's now time for our yearly edition of the best and worst in super bowl ads and there was a lot of them this year for me, I think it was a better year for Super Bowl ads. I thought on the whole, they were more in- enjoyable and more tolerable to watch than previous years. I thought there were several. In fact, I was counting, I think, up to eight or nine, I think, that could have gone into my top three. So I think there were lots of choices out there. And I think if you have one out there, you know, we'd love to hear from you, you know, what your top three were. If you want to get a chance, just give us a shout out at PopCultureCosmo or PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Or even if you want to go ahead and put it as part of a five-star review on iTunes, you can do that as well. Just let us know what Super Bowl commercials really moved you. But we do have a list, three each, of our best and worst. So I'll start with you, my friend. Your best Super Bowl ads, your top three. You can even give an honorable mention if you like on what uh, on what Super Bowl ads really moved you this year. All right, so starting with the best, I loved the Hyundai commercial, the uh, Smart Park. Yeah, Smart Park. Smart Park. Smart Park. It's a Smart Park. Smart Park. I don't know what it was. Most people would be like, oh, that's a dumb commercial, but like just because it reminded me of, you know, when you go to Universal Studios and you're walking down that entrance and they have the the Brooklyn wall there and they have the two people whose job it is to, to yell things down. Oh, look at Harry. Look at what he's wearing. He's got a hat. Like, that's what that reminded me of. And I don't know, it just like brought back great memories for me. So it felt nice to watch it. I don't know if that makes sense. but like, No, it's getting a lot of favorable reviews. So I think a lot of people are also getting very, uh, very, very positive about that ad. All right. I like the Michelob Ultra commercial with Jimmy Fallon. That one was pretty funny. And John Cena in it. John Cena. Yeah, John Cena. I love that he like disappeared for a while and now he's coming back. But that was actually a really funny commercial. Uh, I okay, did. we'll touch on John Cena later when it comes to the trailers, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I did legitimately laugh out loud at that. The other one that I really enjoyed was the uh, Charlie Day, how his his commercial kind of crossed through the entire Super Bowl. Like, I love it had this running narrative that just kind of crossed over it. You know, you kept seeing commercials for it throughout the entire game. 
But what else was really great about it was that they cross-pollinated, right? When they showed Charlie Day talking to the Bud Knight. Like that was kind of talking like, to Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. He was in like, several the mass singer. He was in several of them. Yeah, he crossed over into a lot of commercials. So I give them props. I'm not sure how much money it cost them to do that, but because you know they're they're let's say let's say Fox, because it averaged for a 30 second spot about 5.6 million dollars. Yeah. So you know Tide is covering some of that when he does an appearance, let's say with Wonder Woman, when he goes and talks to Wonder Woman and they they play off each other. Yeah. Tide is kicking in some of that money for Warner Brothers. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, that was very good marketing. Oh, my honorable mention would be the the Walmart commercial where they had all the pop culture properties jumping into each other. I miss Mars Attacks, man. That movie is such an underrated <laughs> Yeah, that movie is just it's gold. I probably wouldn't watch it now because it would ruin my uh, fondness of it, but good commercial. Okay, what are yours? Your top threes, sir. Okay, well, honorable mention also goes to Charlie Day and his performance throughout the entire Super Bowl. He did keep things interesting because they did a great job of spacing it out over the course of the game and his appearances. And I like the fact that he appeared in some ads that I wasn't expecting he would be in. So that's a great job by Tide for doing that. Yeah, he is honorable mention. Smart Pac is also an honorable mention. Jason Momoa. And his changing physique, that's also an honorable mention for me as well. I was going to say, I really like that commercial. For some reason, it slipped my top three for some reason. Oh, uh, no worries. Yeah, it still it gets props, so it is a positive for me. I know what the one you said with Jimmy Fallon has gotten mixed reviews, so I, it, it clicked with you, so that's a good thing. I just know it, it didn't click with others, but I think that was one that's going to be appearing on both good and bad lists over the course of the next few days. For me, it was like, eh, it was all right. I thought it was, uh, you know, I, I actually already seen a lot of Jimmy Fallon at Universal Studios in Florida during his ride that they have for him there. So maybe I had had enough of him already on that. But there was some really good commercials along with the ones that we mentioned already. And I think for me, number three is the Walmart commercial. Bring back all those beloved pop culture icons we see from Star Trek, to Star Wars, C-3PO, and R2-D2, so many others, Flash Gordon. Just There was, I think, probably about 10 to 15 there that we just, if you see, I think there's a longer commercial that's out there and available, I believe, and it has even more pop culture icons to lean on. So they've already done that once already with their pickup service, but I like this version even more. I thought that was really cool of them to do that. And of course, since it's the pop culture cosmos, you know we got to like it when we see all that pop culture stuff. Number two... And a very close number two is Bill Murray and Groundhog Day with the Jeep commercial. I don't know if you got a chance to see that one, but that one is really good. And it, it you know involves his brother who was in the original movie. It also involves the Ned character that was also part of the movie as well. So flashback those two characters, it got them involved in the commercial. So I really like that commercial with Bill Murray and Groundhog Day that Jeep presented. So I thought that was a really good commercial. And number one... I'm not as big a fan of the show as maybe I should be, but Rick and Morty really took it to the house with their Pringles commercial. I really thought that was good. And the fact that it just didn't go cut to black or cut to the product, and it was just like a hard cut to the next commercial, I really like the fact that they did it that way because it gave it that allure that they are really trapped in a Pringles commercial. So I, I like that a lot. So yes, Rick and Morty takes the cake for me. Number one, as far as with their Pringles commercial is concerned. So 
that was some really good stuff. I, like I said, I think it was a better year for commercials than most. I really like the fact that there's a lot of six, seven, eight deep, nine deep of commercials that I really think could be out there amongst everybody's top three, top four that's out there. So yeah, I definitely think it was good. But for bad commercials, there were a couple snoozers out there, especially if it's sugar related. I think there are some real snoozers out there, but it wasn't really that many bad, 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 awful ones, unless you want to go into political ones, but I don't want to go into the political. So which product or service Super Bowl ads were the ones that really made you say, eh, didn't like that one? Oh, no, we talked about this, right? The Hard Rock Hotel one, it... It's a beautiful hotel, but it just yes. didn't, didn't click for me. That whole scene with J Lo and Khalid and thing and Pitbull, Pitbull, yeah, it just it didn't click with me. And it might just be because I'm not into that scene, but it just it felt like it it lasted a little bit too long. There's too much motion, so I didn't really get a chance to. I didn't even understand that it was a Hard Rock Hotel commercial until they showed the hotel at the end of it. All the NFL commercials too political. Leave politics out of the Super Bowl. My other one that was bad was the cheetos commercial but yeah my last one is the cheetos commercial it was like i giggled at it it's it's a weird crossover with mc hammer and cheetos it just i don't know i laughed but it may be really uncomfortable my worst three and actually i want to give a dishonorable mention for me there are actually like i said there were maybe two or three more that could have gone this list but they weren't horrible horrible but the martin scorsese jonah hill coca-cola energy drink advertisement i think that was just eh, a waste of money for coca-cola but then again they got a ton of cash so their commercials for the most part each year are not creative and they still make a ton of cash so it, it's so funny when pepsi tries to troll them each and every year and again coca-cola seems to come out on top every single year for so be that as it may for me number three was the alexa commercials and I'm sorry, you know, I, for Ellen DeGeneres fans, this is not her shining performance. And also is why just going back as far as the other uses before Alexa to do those type of things just didn't, it wasn't funny. And if you listen and you watch the longer version of this commercial, it's really doesn't, it's not even any more entertaining. So Alexa, please don't play any more of that commercial. Number two is Pop-Tarts. And this came just before the end of the first half. It's Pop-Tarts gimmick to try and go ahead and create a Pop-Tart with a pretzel and a sweet topping, sweet and sour type deal. Uh, no, I think that product will probably be off the shelves within a year. I don't know, may catch on, but I don't think so, especially because the ad itself on the Super Bowl really was not that good. The worst Super Bowl ads of the year for me this time around, we're actually, there's a tie between Reese's Take Five and Snickers. Both of those ads were just candy bars that were very uninteresting to watch and gave you no impetus to go out and buy those candies. It just what they were trying to connect with as far as their audience is concerned, just it didn't work. They weren't funny. They weren't amusing. They were using tropes and images and styles that had been used before in Super Bowl commercials. And it really didn't connect with me. And I don't think it's going to connect with the large audience as well. I think that was a miss by the folks at Snickers and Reese's with Reese's Take 5 and the Snickers commercials. So those are our best and worst of the Super Bowl ads. What are your best and worst of the Super Bowl ads? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmo on Twitter 
and of course, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook as well. Well, coming up right after the break, Josh and I are going to break down some of the trailers we saw, some very interesting and some even harder to explain. We'll try to explain coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, listener, Dutch here from Voice from the Underground, the podcast. My co-host and I want to invite you to check out our little corner of the podcast verse. At Voice from the Underground, we talk about all the crazy happening around us and try to make a little bit of sense out of the nonsense with little to no results. If the idea of hearing three semi-intelligent, outspoken nerds talk about politics, social issues, current events, sports, movies, pretty much anything that we decide to talk about because, well, it's our show, appeals to you, grab your shovel and come on down to the underground and then consult a qualified psychotherapist. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, just not where you buy your weed. Voice from the underground. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. You know, along with the ads that come out with the Super Bowl and paying all that dinero, all that cash, we saw several mini trailers come out and also spots for movies that are coming out in the not too distant future. Everything from, uh, you know, like the new Minions movie, SpongeBob, Top Gun, Black Widow, Fast and Furious, Mulan, Sonic the Hedgehog for the Amazon original series Hunters. A Quiet Place Part 2, which actually had a really good jump scare in it, but unfortunately the way they edited it, it wasn't as effective as if you see the actual long version of it online on YouTube. So I ask you, my friend, where do you want to start first as far as some of the trailers that we saw? I know where I want to start, but I'll have you start first on what trailers seem the most interesting to you and why. Okay, so the Marvel one was interesting to me in the fact that I had never seen footage from any of that stuff before. That's a, basically uh, a teaser for Disney Plus with footage shown from Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision. And it was very cool to see. Yeah, it was very cool. I love seeing the Falcon and Winter Soldier. That got bumped up, right? So that's coming out in August. In August, yeah. WandaVision, it looked interesting. You know, they didn't really tell us a lot about what was happening. It appears to be, it, it looks like, you know, when she in the comic book run House of M. Wanda changes reality and it's, you know, visions like the, the father and they're living like this black and white sitcom type deal. So that's kind of what it looks like. But it also looked like she jumped maybe into like a Brady Bunch 1970s or 1960s yeah. type format as well. Looked that she had on. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what, yeah. In House of M, that all happens. Uh, Loki, they didn't really say enough about it. But yeah, it's just, it's nice to see, you know, my big concern. I know we talked about this was that you know, the question of whether or not these shows were going to have the production value of a Marvel film, and it seems like they do. So that just felt nice to see those fears put to rest. Absolutely. It does look very good, especially Falcon and Winter Soldier right off the get-go. WandaVision looks very different, so we'll have to see exactly what goes on with that series because it's going to have a very different look from anything we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before, especially because it will be tying into the next Doctor Strange which will be coming out in May of 2021. So definitely some interesting things coming up for Disney+. Plus. I just wish they were coming out a lot sooner. I mean, in our discussion last week in regards to Disney+, Plus, there's a lack of content that's new and fresh. So it would have been just awesome to see these shows coming out in the not-too-distant future rather than having to wait, at least in the case of the earliest one that would be coming out, which is Falcon Winter Soldier, another six months. So that's... 
something that we'll have to go ahead and wait for, bide our time with. But still, it looks like it's going to be good when it finally comes out to Disney+. Plus. So there's a lot of other things that came out as well. I like the new James Braun trailer that came out with some footage. Really looks good for what's coming out in April for that movie. But the one movie I really want to talk to you about is The Fast and Furious 9, The Fast Saga, as it's being called, that trailer. First off, John Cena, as we talked about earlier, he is now involved in it. And this is something that wasn't a surprise because it's already been announced, but he's part of the movie playing Dom's brother, Dom, a.k.a. Vin Diesel, in the movie. So you've got John Cena being... Vin Diesel's brother in the film. I mean, is this something that you could really get behind? Who's a master assassin? Who's a thief? Who's who's a vehicle specialist? We had no idea before on it, but Michelle Rodriguez was the only one to know outside of Vin Diesel. You know, I, th- it's kind of par for the course with these movies. Every script it feels like is pulled out of some guy's backside, but it ends up like they tie it into the mythology, and people are like. Yeah, no, it's just it's a Fast and Furious movie. What do we expect? If they had cars that all of a sudden grew rockets and shot them into space, people would just be like, you know, it's a Fast and Furious movie. What'd they expect? Like hey, they, there is a, a car with a rocket in the trailer. Speaking of which, yeah. It's not disappointing. It's not like I'm not like, oh, that's so stupid. It is a Fast and the Furious movie, and just by nature, this franchise is stupid, but that's what makes it so endearing is that it is stupid. Speaking so, of stupid, Justice for Han. It's finally been paid off because I know I actually really like that character. So I'm glad they brought him back. But the problem is they gave these spoilers away with John Cena being his brother and also Han coming out at the end of the trailer. Fast and Furious is a series that sells itself by the name at this point. Why yeah, give well, these spoilers away? Yeah. If you look at the trailers running time, though, the running the trailer is four minutes. This is the one that you can yeah. find on YouTube in its full version. They didn't really give much in the 30-second Super Bowl spot, but the expanded version tells you all these spoilers, and that to me is kind of disappointing, even though we're probably going to see the movie anyways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I I hear you on that, but I mean, it is a Fast and the Furious film, so I mean, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more over-the-top stuff in it. The thing with John Cena, so you, back to your original question, right? You asked me about how I feel about John Cena being Vin Diesel's brother. I am I'm kind of okay with it like until they were standing side by side I'm like they're they're both kind of broody I can kind of see that going on I do want to ask you though do you think that John Cena had to spend any time in a tanning booth to make him look more like Vin Diesel Well you can see the difference in the trailer and then in the commercial he did with Jimmy Fallon Yeah he's he's a little pastier but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm okay with it. What's confusing me is that all the crossovers, right? They have like Vin Diesel talking to uh, to Shaw's mom, and they had Cipher's back, and there's just Jordana Brewster's back in it. But they were talking about maybe having a cameo by Paul Walker's brother playing Paul Walker again. And then if you blink and you miss it, and they show uh, Lucas Black from um, Tokyo Drift, exactly his buddy, his mechanic buddy, who's actually in a show on Cinemax called Warrior, which is really good. Check it out if you get a chance. This is the Expendables <laughs> of Fast and Furious movies. Everyone's coming back around. I'm not expecting... No one really dies. Back. No one dies. Yeah, now everyone's saying, bring back a Giselle who you know got shredded through an airplane engine in like Fast and Furious 5, I think. Right? Gal Gadot, yes. Yeah, so I don't know. At this point, I'm not expecting anything. I'll watch it. I'm not like... 
expecting it to be like an amazing movie. It's just funny how the turns that this franchise has taken. Is there anything that you want out of the film, though? We always talk about retconning in these films with Star Wars and Marvel and all that stuff. Okay, the Fast and Furious series, it should be renamed The Fast and the Retcon. Let's just leave it at that. At this point, you go down there, it's dumb popcorn fun with crazy CGI car tricks, and you're already seeing some of that in the extended trailer that's out there. I was just disappointed that they would give these secrets of Dom's brother and also as well Han so freely away. You know, They don't have to go ahead to do that to sell a movie because they're Fast 9. There, it's already pretty much guaranteed to make seven, eight hundred million, nine hundred million, over a billion dollars because that's the what the ones do. The side movies, Hobbs and Shaw, that made seven hundred fifty million dollars. So you see that the series is probably at its peak of popularity. So it really doesn't have to go ahead and give away these spoilers. Let it the fans experience it for themselves inside the theater. Okay, so before we close this topic up, I do want to ask you. So Fast 9 was supposed to be the end of it, right? But from what I'm reading... They, no, they're going to do 10. They're doing 10, and it's actually going to shoot right after this movie comes out. And so it's the... Because uh, it's supposed to release in 2021. Like, it's supposed to come out the following year. And they're saying that The Rock is hinting that he's going to be back. The only reason he wasn't in this one was because of scheduling conflicts. So... I think it will have everybody. Ten will have everybody. Jason Statham, the, the whole nine yards will have do you, ten. Do you think that that will truly be the end of it, though? Like, I feel like anybody who's willing to drag this franchise on for ten films is just not capable of stopping it at any point. That's an excellent question. Well, obviously, it's in the hands of Universal. If ten does bonkers, Vin Diesel's still young enough, if Hobbs and Shaw 2 comes out and that does well, then there's no end in sight for the Fast and Furious series. It's just that simple. As long as these films, the main ones, garner close to a billion dollars or over, and the side stories like Hobbs and Shaw garner over six, seven hundred million dollars like this one did, it's just right there for you. Right now, Fast and Furious series is hot because it's just great popcorn fun. You just sit there, put your mind on the seat next to you, and basically you watch the film from there. You pretty much turn everything off and you just watch. And that's basically what it comes down to. But I was just, like I said, I'm just sad that they give away all these spoilers. It comes right down to the Empire Strikes Back theory. The Empire Strikes Back, part of the reason why it's so beloved is because people had to go to the theater to find the shocking answer to the question of Luke Skywalker's father. They actually had to go and walk into a theater and sit down and see it. That's why the mystique in regards to Empire Strikes Back is still there, even to this day. Part of the reason, mind you. It's also a darn good film. But when it comes to the Fast and Furious series, you know, okay, the narrative line aside, this would be nice when you go to theater and you can get your spoilers there instead of actually seeing it online on YouTube. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's just, it's hard. Uh, Especially for a series that doesn't have to do it, that's made already a ton of cash. They could have just released a trailer of Vin Diesel getting out of a car and talking to John Cena and people would still be stoked on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Didn't have to give away his identity. Did just have to say, okay, these two are headed for a showdown and that's all you really need to know. There are also other great trailers out there. Again, James Bond, the latest trailer for that. That's movies dropping in April. I'm very excited for that one. Wonder Woman had some footage, obviously with Charlie Day involved. That was kind of a nice tie-in once again. 
SpongeBob, that movie's coming out. Sonic the Hedgehog. There was a whole bunch of movies that came out with some 30-second spots. My suggestion is take a look at our post on our Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmos. Then go and see the corresponding extended spot online on YouTube, especially when it comes to The Quiet Place Part 2 and so many other of these films, because I think there are a lot that are worth watching at this point in time. Okay, one more thing I do want to ask you. How are you feeling about that Mulan trailer that dropped? I am actually um, slightly more interested in it now than I was before this day started. I am in agreement with you on that. I think it looked a lot better. I think it gave a lot better impression this time around, so I'm a lot more positive about it. There's still some people out there that are kind of upset that there's no real music as far as singing and vocalization on it. It's it taking a far different dramatic turn than what the animated film did but for me i'm kind of liking where this film is going now yeah and the, the lack of music kind of makes it stand out because up until this point we have gotten exact repeats of the cartoons with literally nothing changed with mulan though there's no music it feels like a legit historical piece you know it, it does have the background music like it's got the instrumental of what the songs were and it feels like it has the choreography of like an Ang Lee film. And that's something that I'm and you know that I'm a huge fan of Kung Fu films. So, I mean, it, this feels like it's something that's right up my alley. It looks like it's something that a lot of people will become more interested in it as it gets closer to the air date. So Milan is something I think we're, we're going to go ahead and be very interested in seeing once it comes out. And I think a lot of it is due to the ad that came out during the Super Bowl weekend as well. What are your thoughts out there on the movie trailers that debuted over Super Bowl weekend? Which ones were your favorites? Which ones have you say, nah, I don't think I'll catch it at the movie theater? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, we've got a great interview with Jackie Rom. She's a crime novelist with a couple of great books out already dealing within the crime world. She's a star of the Amazon Prime documentary, Method of Murder. She's got some children's books out. You know, she's got a podcast even. There's a lot to talk about with Jackie Rom, and we'll go ahead and talk to her next right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. All right, we're back once again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. And I'll tell you what, we're going to go into a little bit different direction on our latest interview because, uh, you know, when I when I went and start the research on this individual that's coming up next, there's a, a fascinating story to tell. And the reason why I say that is, you know, she started out as a British drama teacher and also writing children's books. But her life turned to a, well, let's say she turned to a life of crime, not in the way you're thinking, mind you, because she's gone full deep into crime novels. She became a crime novelist with the Sandra Bernstein Chronicles, which you should now get right now on Amazon with not only her first book, From Makeup to Murder, but also as well From Vegas to Villainry. She's also got a great documentary on how she looked into the facets of the aspects of murder. 
That documentary is called Method of Murder. It's all about murder here, I'll tell you folks. And that is available on Amazon Prime right now. That's Method of Murder. And then she's also even got a podcast because she's got to round out the trifecta of so many different ways to go ahead and communicate her love for crime novels. And that is the life of a crime novelist. She is multifaceted indeed when you talk about crime and all that. Her stuff is out there. It's truly amazing. And if you go ahead and get a listen or you watch or you read, she's got a lot of great stuff out there. It is Jackie Rom. And Jackie, so glad to have you part of the program today. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Just glad to have you part of it. And I think the first question that stuck out to me when I'm doing my research is, how does a British drama teacher who goes ahead and writes children's books that were very well received suddenly say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and turn to a life of crime by going ahead and investigating murder, crime, and all that, and becoming a crime novelist. Well, when people ask you, when you're an author, and they ask you what you write, when I answered, I write children's books, you could see people physically go, oh, as if it's hard, easy writing children's books, which it isn't. And so one day I thought to myself, I'll show you. It wasn't even to anyone in particular. It was just, you know, numerous people thinking that children's books were easy. And I had a fascination with CSI, Law and Order, and all those TV programmes. So you think to yourself, right, I'm going to have a go at, uh, at what I love to watch and read. And then I sat there and thought, well, actually, I know nothing. I don't know anything about murder. I'm not a criminal. I don't have a, crim a criminal's mind. Um, and so I had to spend about a year researching. So I spent many hours with uh, detectives, uh, both here and in the Caribbean, because my first book was based on the island of St. Martin. So I sat with Dutch police and I just sucked it all in and learnt. In fact, some of that process is documented in the documentary Method of Murder. When you went ahead and traveled here to the west coast of, of the United States with Los Angeles and also Las Vegas, you got some interesting access in order to do so, which, you know, my familiarity with this town has been since 1995 I've been here. And one of the things that casinos and hotels around the city, one thing they don't give you very much of unless you're on the inside is access. And something that you noted, you tried to get a lot of access out there from a lot of hotels and casinos here in the city, but you ran up a little bit against the wall, didn't you? Well, I was determined that I wanted to know what happened behind the scenes. You know, I knew that there was a whole world in the casinos apart from what we see. And to be able to write a novel, I have to understand. I have to understand the life of my characters. So I decided I wanted to get behind the scenes at a casino. And I wrote to every casino. They all said no. Until one day I went on to Facebook and I just posted, does anyone know any casino owners? And somebody said to me, yes, I know Derek Stevens of the D. And so I said, can you introduce me? And he said, well, I don't actually know him. But he's always on Twitter, so message him. So I did. I direct messaged him, and within two hours, I got all access at the D. 
as someone who has worked in the casinos and hotels over the course of the time you're here, it's almost it's almost inevitable at some point in time that your paths will cross within the hotel and casino confines in some form or fashion. Uh, there is a different ecosystem. There is a different culture that's behind the scenes that the normal tourists and individuals out there that come in for conventions, for vacations, just even for a weekend to come and gamble or party, they don't get to see. Uh, and it's interesting that you covered many of those aspects in your documentary and also as well, you know, you get hints from time to time in your book from Vegas to Villainry. It's just something that I know fascinates a lot of people on the inside. But and when you're talking about crime as a whole and how you set that up, I want to go ahead and talk first about your books, the Sarah Bernstein Chronicles. And again, if you want to go ahead and pick up a copy of the Sarah Bernstein Chronicles, either part one or part two, Part one is Makeup to Murder, and part two is Vegas to Villainry. Both are available right now on Amazon. So go into a little bit of detail about how you created the Sandra Bernstein character and, okay. and exactly where you wanted to take her as far as her ventures go. Okay, so first of all, I need to tell you how the name appeared. My grandfather came over between the First and Second World War from... Um, Eastern European in, into the UK and his name was Borenstein and just like the people that went to Ellis Island and they wrote the name down wrong the same thing happened to my grandfather they turned it from Borenstein to Bernstein and uh, he wanted to go to university at 18 and thought he wouldn't get in with such a Jewish name in that time and period so went into one of the UK red telephone booths, opened a book, stuck a pin in and changed the name, a family name to Etherton. So it was a name I only found out that we had probably 20 years ago. So why Sandra? I don't know. It just fits. So that's how we came up with the name. I've spent most of my life on a film set. Being a drama teacher and an agent, I would take children on to work on films and so I'm very uh, aware of what a film set is like and location and so uh, I, Sandra is a makeup artist and she travels from one film set to another that allowed me to travel the world and to base my books wherever I wanted to go. Once again I have on the esteemed crime novelist Jackie Rom. you got to check out her books today on Amazon, both her children's books and, of course, her crime novels, the Sandra Bernstein Chronicles, plus also as well, you got to check out on Amazon Prime today, her documentary, Method of Murder. And when it comes to Method of Murder, you wanted to go ahead and get the inside. You did a lot of research, but and, and Method of Murder details some of that research in some precarious places, as it were. What really stood out to you as far as something that maybe, you know, had you like open up your eyes or just really surprised you about the, the, the crime and murder process that, you know, during the course of filming or during, you know, whether it was on or off camera, just really just stuck out to you? Okay, there's a couple of things. One was our visit to the desert. I wanted to see how long it would take for a female to dig a grave in the desert you know from watching the documentary, I didn't do very well. But the thing that in, was incredible was everyone was shooting. We were dodging bullets. And there were kids with guns out there. 
there was just and of course i don't come from a a gun culture we don't even see guns so dodging bullets in the in the desert was just it was like i was on a different planet Um, it's something that's common out there in that area i didn't know Um, and the other thing the um we go to visit the makeup artist and the special effects guy and um, we didn't put this on camera. I said to Haley, the uh, makeup artist, if you were going to kill someone or, you know, what would you do with the body? And she was talking about taking it out to the desert. And she said, let me show you something. She took me to her car. And I promise you this is the truth. She took out a basket full of animal skulls and her hobby is going out into the desert and collecting animal skulls wow it's just it's just unbelievable the things people do with their time <laughs> i tell you it's just amazing i mean so i think it i loved i really don't mind asking anybody anything i haven't really got much filter so i haven't got a problem with asking you know whatever question so I think that was so much fun but in the D with Derek Stevens one of the things I wanted to do is we obviously had a film crew but I brought an actor with me I wanted to see if I a woman could drag a dead body out of a casino before getting caught and they wouldn't let me do it I don't blame that because obviously <laughs> when you're there it's all about image of course when it comes to Las yeah. Vegas but getting that access, I'm sure, was, uh, you know, obviously something that was very rewarding. And it, it comes across in the method of murder. And, and that's something I, I guess that's one of the reasons why it's been so well received. And I've, I've been looking at the reviews and, and very favorable for you. And it's something that I think a lot of people have started to really enjoy when it comes to method of murder, the documentary. I think that process and I think that open filter that you have that you're able to go ahead and ask those provocative questions that not many others would in regards to the murder process or the crime process in general. And, and you go ahead and ask those questions. <laughs> I think that's why it makes method of murder so fascinating is because of the fact that, you know, you go ahead and you just touch on those subjects, which are in many ways taboo to a lot of people. I think death is taboo. Yeah, I think my favourite one is the lady that we met at the Lion Sanctuary. Um, I was filming and the director came up to me and said, there's two ladies, they love to read and they would like to chat to you. Um, And I went over, I started chatting and I said, what do you read? And they both said to me, they read religious books. They don't read fiction, they read religious books. And then one of these ladies that only reads religious books had a great way to murder somebody and it was so funny Uh, hilarious i can imagine so (laughs) i'm sure that was probably one of the things that totally just got you off track i'm just it's like okay you said this Uh, okay all righty then uh so that's i'm sure that's it was very amusing and i'll tell you what uh, you know i i find know if i'm asking those questions and I, that's the answer i get from the individual that you spoke to i'd probably go ahead and just be thrown off my rocker as well so i, well, I think of course I, I had a tattoo as well because i wanted to ask a few questions of a tattoo artist yep. so when we had a production meeting it was right who's going to have the tattoo so i said okay it'll be me i'll take one for the team so people keep saying did it hurt I said, I had to interview him. 
I couldn't take notice of what was happening. I had to smile and ask questions and forget that I had a needle plunging in my back. Exactly. When I see that uh, in the method of murder and I, I see you asking him those questions, I'm thinking to myself, you know, as someone who has a tattoo, that's it's not a pleasant experience <laughs> going through it. And you're still asking those questions very pointedly and you're throwing him off. Which is, I'm not sure the best thing. He did to that go. face. That face you yes, did. That, that, that face he made was just priceless. But the fact that he's do, you know, trying to go ahead and give you a tattoo at the same time, why you're asking, you know, I'm just worried about, you know, leaving that permanent mistake right there, as, you know, as part of a scar yeah, for was, you and all that. It was funny. And then the next guy in the tattoo parlor who did a reenactions and he takes photography takes photos with a special solution where he has to use arsenic. Now, how can't, you know, it was amazing that we came across him. Arsenic is something that seems to be an old standby uh, in the murder yeah. process when you watch on films and things of that nature and TV shows and all that. So that, that's funny how you came across him. And I'll ask this because this basically encompasses something I want to touch upon with you. And that is crime in general, as far as what we watch as a medium, because you mentioned your love for CSI, Law and Order, and, you know, those type of crime shows. And as someone who watched much of CSI as well, because it was kind of based here in Las Vegas and kind of, you know, it's funny because I used to work in an industry where people would come in and fly in from Las Vegas and they would ask about the hotels that don't exist that they see every week on the show. And yeah, is this hotel? <laughs> this is so hotel. And I'd be, have to be the bearer of bad news. I have to ma'am, um, that hotel <laughs> doesn't actually exist. And they're actually um, here. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I must tell you, you know, Vegas is one of my favorite places in the world to be. To me, it's it's like an adult Disney world. You know, I land, I take a step out, and my whole body relaxes. You know, it's a place that has, for me, has the best shows, the best food, the best shopping. So it's uh, it's my getaway. Well, we truly appreciate it. But yeah, it was just so funny to you know people would come in and talk about these hotels that they see every week on the show and they just don't even exist. And I felt bad every time I go, I had to go ahead and let them down and say, mm -hmm, they're not right here. They're actually computer generated before they go up on screen when you see those shots. But yeah, you know, sorry to tell you. And most of, most of it was shot in LA in a soundstage on LA. So I hate to tell you that too. Yeah. Because that leads into a part of the conversation I really wanted to get into. And that is the, the aspect of true crime in itself and crime that mm -hmm. we're fascinated with. I read some recent articles in regards to the uptick of popularity. And, you know, of course, of many years now, since the Serial Podcast made it so, so many different people out there now are truly getting into true crime as a whole and as a medium, whether it's podcasting, whether it's television, whether it's movies and things of that nature. But they're getting into true crime especially. What does that mean as far as medium? Because people have become so fascinated about what's going on with podcasting when it comes to true crime and basically the crime medium. Well, I do think that the documentary Making a Murderer was so successful around the world. And I think that that has started people have got this fascination with true crime. It's, it's as if it's a next step on from watching Law and Order and CSI. There's now this want to learn more, see more, hear more. And I do think 
there is a bit of fantasy in a way because, as I said before, I'm not a criminal. I don't have a criminal mind. I don't actually understand a criminal. So maybe because they're characters so far away from us that they're fascinating. There's always been a fascination with macabre. So whether it was Dracula or Frankenstein, it's just moved on now to true crime podcasts. But I don't think it's ever been any different. I think there's just a a kind of modern twist with the podcast. And I definitely agree with you on that. As someone who has listened through some true crime podcasts himself, it's become fascinating to see the ones that are so popular with audiences. So before we head on out, I wanted to ask you this. For you in your own words, if you could describe why people should go ahead and check out the Sandra Bernstein Chronicles, both Makeup to Murder and From Vegas to Villainy, but also as well, your Method to Murder Amazon Prime documentary that's out there. Just all the things that you're doing, your podcast, even your children books. Why should they go ahead and check out all the quality work that you have out there today? The Sandra Bernstein Chronicles have been described as a mix of Agatha Christie and Murder, She Wrote. So, you know, they're quite light-hearted, laid-back books that you can just disappear into, as well as the children's books, uh, because I have a lot of adults that read the kids' books. They read to their children. Um, It's about an 11-year-old actor who's famous and also is a detective. So there's a little bit for everybody they are it's like coming to vegas and stepping into the adult disney world i think my books are just to take you away from reality as well as the documentary you know it's all it's kind of a time for yourself relax watch and enjoy absolutely and you can check it out today method of murder that awesome documentary that's been reviewed very positively is available now on amazon prime you got to check that out there also as well, she's got a great podcast you got to listen to, The Life of a Crime Novelist, that comes out each and every week. I've been checking out the episodes. They're coming out each and every week, which is one of the first rules of podcasting. You be consistent out there, and you're following it to a T, so you're doing a great job with that. I got a chance to listen to episodes there. It all emanates from the Sandra Bernstein Chronicles with Makeup to Murder and Vegas to Villainy, which you can also get today on Amazon. Amazon is benefiting from your uh, great stuff that you got out there. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of stuff indeed that you're going ahead and putting out when it comes to the crime world. Any last thoughts from you on the way out? Well, it's also on a lot of um, cable channels as well. I know they're on things like Hulu, Fandango, lots of different names. So there's lots of places. Just Google it. And uh, I just want to thank you for letting me tell you all about my story. And uh, no problem. I'll be back in Vegas soon. Oh, well, if you're b- back in Vegas, I'll tell you what, we'll go ahead and have a little chat on, on some crime there for you. I won't partake in any crimes. You'll no, have me neither. Me. You'll have to forgive me on that one. But I'll tell you what, it's been great talking today in regards to all the stuff going on in within the crime realm. And again, you got to check out her books today, The Sandra Bernstein Chronicles, available now on Amazon.com. That's Makeup to Murder and Vegas to Villainy. And also as well, her awesome documentary, Method of Murder. You got to check it out today on Amazon and also many other outlets as well. Just go ahead and Google it. You'll be able to find it real easy indeed. It's just been so great having you on the show today. Cannot thank you enough for being on the program. Without committing any crimes, I'd love to have you back on somewhere down the line as well. I'd like that too. Thank you. 
Thank you so much again for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show's Pop Culture Cosmos. My friend, I just want to ask you this before we head on out. I spoke to Jackie Rom, her comments right there on why people are just so fascinated with true crime. And of course, you and I both know within the podcast medium, since we both produce podcasts, how popular true crime podcasts really are. Your thoughts on what's the connection people have with true crime? I mean, not only among men, but women especially are really, you know, according to the numbers, really gearing and veering into this true crime world, whether it's TV shows. My wife just loves Dateline. And and of course, the serial podcast really kicked off a lot of things when it comes to true crime. But what do you think the fascination is with everyone out there in society when it comes to true crime and why are they following it so closely? You know, that's an interesting question. I've actually been thinking about this, not just because you were going to ask me that question, but just because I'm curious about it. It feels to me, okay, not to get psychological, but I feel like we all have this darker nature that is always existing within us, but we, we just kind of don't ever open that door. And now that true, these true crime podcasts, people are fascinated by it. They're fascinated because this is appeasing that kind of darkness in people without having to, uh, you know, make them become that darkness itself. So it's, it's allowing them to like live vicariously, I suppose. And there's also like a, you know, there's a mystery element to it, but just the fact that like, yeah, I'm so, if it's, I'm so hooked on it. I want to know what happens next, what happens next, what happens next. And, you know, I think there's a deeply psychological nature to that. But uh, what are your thoughts on there? It's a fascination. You know, I, I, I was seeing the numbers the other day and how fast it's rising amongst women as far as checking out true crime podcasts and whatnot. But I just think it's the fascination we as humans have with true crime and people going bad, people going on to the dark side, people going ahead and committing heinous crimes like this, the macabre, anything of this nature. I mean, when talking with Jackie Rom about her thoughts on it, you could just tell that she has become truly fascinated on it. I mean, the documentary that she did, Method of Murder, details that fascination and interest she has with it, even though obviously most of us do not want to commit these heinous crimes. It's just the fascination with why people do it and following them so closely and under, trying to under, and trying to understand exactly why they're, you know, the motivations that these individuals have, but also as well, sometimes the fascination in trying to solve these murders, these mysteries, these crimes ourselves, how did they happen? How did they get away with it? Or exactly who did it? And do I have a thought on it myself? Those things come into play when you're checking out anything in regards to the true crime genre whether it's television, film, or in an audio form. And I'll tell you what, it's become a fascinating thing for all of us. It's, it's been fascinating for quite some time, but now that the podcast medium is so popular now, it's just even become more so. And I think, like I said with Jackie Raman, I'll just again mention again, the Serial Podcast, 
started it all for everybody on a podcast medium as far as true crime is concerned. So you can tell a lot of people really got into the medium and they would just, it just exploded from there. And now you have true crime pretty much outside of maybe some conversational and, and interview style podcasts. I think true crime podcasting right now is at its peak and there's probably nothing more popular right now in the podcast medium. Yeah, and but do you, at the same time, I mean, you had said this yourself, right, that there's so many of them out there and the numbers are on the rise. Do you think that you're going to get to a point where that market becomes oversaturated? Yeah, I think there will be a time. I mean, for all things, just you know, pop culture, television shows, things of that nature, sports, doesn't matter. At some point in time, there is going to be a point of saturation that the audience will not be able to follow. It hasn't hit it yet. But I'm sure at some point in time they will. It all depends on exactly the accessibility. And, you're, you know, you're always trying to gain a new audience. Right now, you know, the people that are just starting to check out podcasts for the first time and the people that are checking out other podcasts for the first time is still at a high rate. There's going to be a point in time where podcasts are the norm or maybe become passe. That point is not now or not even in the near future, but there will be a point in time. And I think at some point in time, you're right, there is going to be a saturation point for not only true crime podcasts but podcasting as a whole hopefully for us it won't be for a long time but you never know maybe wait i can't say until i'm old and gray because i'm already there but you know that's me but when it comes to the true crime genre there's a lot to talk about we want to hear thoughts on exactly why it has become so popular or so fascinating because in a podcast medium it is probably the most popular genre out today but I know that also exists as far as television, film. They're extremely fascinating to follow for everyone out there. So we want to hear your thoughts on true crime and why it's so popular. And some of the thoughts that Jackie Rom shared as well. Let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. But also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, it's been a great show, my friend. Once again, thank you to Jackie Ron for being part of it. And always to you, my friend, for being my fellow host on the show. We've got a lot of things to talk about coming up on Friday because Birds of Prey with Margot Robbie is coming out. And I know you and I are both excited for that film. But before we head on out, Amazon Prime hits 150 million subscribers, which is just 11 million behind Netflix. This extends our conversation we had previously on Amazon Prime I think a lot more people are getting into the video portion of it than just having it for free shipping. I think Amazon Prime is now a true contender for the throne of most popular streaming outlet, a lot more than we were once led to believe. Oh, for sure. They've got a lot of uh, a lot of great content on there and there. Here's the thing though, like, you know, Netflix just puts all this stuff out, you know, that Every once in a while, I, I stumble up on a Netflix show that's that's okay, but like most of it's just trash. But like we said before, like they can afford to do trash, right? At least they're putting out content. Amazon has big budget, so when they have these shows come out, their shows and their films and their films premiere in movies before they hit, you know, the streaming service, which is really helpful to them. But yeah, they have these big budget shows, and they're they're amazing. And you know, Lord of the Rings, I'm sure is going to be great, but they're not consistent enough. And so when it comes to, uh, you know, if they really want to put Netflix in the rearview mirror, they're going to have to up the ante when it comes to putting shows out. And that might be a good uh, opportunity to seek out, you know, new talent, see what people are doing on the indie circuit. But, yeah, they're, they are growing. And I do like that they are starting to take themselves seriously. So it would seem and not just being like, you know, a hobby studio. 
or also as well, just a studio that was a side thing, which for many years, in fact, even when we started, we always treated Amazon Prime as a side thing. We just thought as given that most people have it because of the free Amazon Prime shipping and delivery and all the little other nooks and crannies that they have with the free games and the free stuff on Twitch and all that. A lot of people are now utilizing Amazon Prime for the great video content that they have, the award-winning content that they have, and upcoming Lord of the Rings and all the other great shows, The Boys Season 2, and so much more that gets us excited. Amazon Prime is no longer a side gig for Amazon anymore. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. You're listening to Nerdlanta. Hey, what's up? This is Master Blazer and Walt Hitman from Atlanta Roller Derby. Hey, what's up? It's Mike. Brian. Brian. Eric. Eric. What's up? This is Catherine Barsonistas from the nerdy food blog, thegluttonousgeek.com. Hey, this is Rory, a.k.a. Catlanta. It's Atlanta's only live nerdy podcast available now on the ESO Network. Hey, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. We, we are, are your Atlanta. Atlanta. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos, and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.